Um, before we get started, let's just have a word of prayer and ask God to guide our conversation this morning. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so grateful um, to continue to lift your name high through um, the delivery of your words to us. We pray that your spirit would, would move in our lives and I suspect as we have a conversation around our language, our tongue, the things we say, uh, that this is going to kind of get close to all of us um, quickly, and um, that's, that's okay. Uh, God, we just pray for your um, guidance through this, this, this dialogue together this morning. Uh, in your glorious name we pray, amen. This summer, we've been working through a series called, um, Because You Say So, I Will, And it's a series really kind of born out of a moment that is recorded in Luke's Gospel where Simon Peter, this professional fisherman, is confronted with a word of instruction about fishing through Jesus himself. In this moment, when we kind of read the Scriptures and we look for places of kind of what is the human moment here, it's this moment where Jesus tells him to go back out fishing after a long night of fishing. And Peter kind of like surrenders to this word of instruction, not because Peter has a deep understanding of who is asking him yet, but he simply just kind of goes out and does it anyway. And it's just an incredible moment where Peter is on the receiving end of this incredible catch uh, as a fisherman. And Peter in real time demonstrates to you and I what it looks like to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to surrender to him, where we then by faith put into practice what Jesus is asking us to do. It's curious that whole like surrender to Christ and submission to Christ and the lordship of who he is. Um, There's going to be many moments in our lives where you're going to realize or hopefully going to realize that that we are not equals and that there is one greater and there is one stronger and there is one who is the redeemer and I'm not it and you're not it. And it's those spaces where we, like Peter, kind of surrender and submit our lives Uh, under the reign and rule of Christ who has authority over all things. Jesus in this moment um, shows us what grace looks like. He doesn't have to say this to Peter at all. He doesn't have to tell him that there's a fish, there's a catch out there waiting for you. It's amazing um, that we sometimes view the instruction of Christ as though that's not, in fact, God's grace on our life. We view it sometimes in this space of like its rules and its um, kind of morality and its it's neither of those things. It's, it's actually um, what the psalmist says, like, your word is a light unto my path. And it kind of, you know, when I walk in it, I will experience things that it's just God's grace upon grace upon grace in my life. Several weeks ago, we highlighted another, another moment where there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus in the same place where Jesus, out of much love and grace for the rich young ruler, answers the question around what must I do to inherit eternal life? The difference between the rich young ruler is we don't even know his name. Why? Because he doesn't do what Peter does. He hears the instruction and he simply walks away because that that task, that request was just too much for him. These moments throughout the New Testament capture this beautiful tension of God's grace on our lives that God does not need to tell us anything at all. We don't live our lives in such a way where God owes us something and then God, out of that sense of obligation, throws us a bone or kind of gives us something to go by. God's grace is simply Him out of love and compassion for you and I, giving us word of instruction that we might discover life and life to its full through His Son. These moments 
On top of God's grace are these spaces where grace and faith and action kind of all collide. And pending the story, pending the people, we might see faith fully expressed in doing what Jesus asks us to do, or we see no faith at all, where that person just kind of continues on their way. And this morning, out of a hope to bring all of us, myself included, to a similar moment, we're going to dive into a conversation dealing with our language, the things that we say, the words that come out of our mouth. And as putting this sermon together, this is like incredibly practical, but deeply spiritual at the same time. Culturally, if we take a look at our language, the things that we say, there are a couple driving principles that drive us, particularly in the West. We, generally speaking, would follow a philosophy that says, I live in a free country, and I live in a space where we celebrate the freedom of expression, that I can say whatever it is that I want to say, and I can say it whenever and however to whoever I want to. The example of this is really breathtaking in all of its forms. If you have any kind of social media presence at all, you can watch people through their TikTok just tee off on others when they're ordering french fries, if something goes wrong, the freedom of expression in that moment is astoundingly difficult to watch at times. There is reel after reel after reel of videos of individuals just berating staff in one form or another in different stores. There is a level of sarcasm that's woven into much of our responses these days, leaving the other person to ask, like, was that person being serious? Like, they're not quite sure what they're saying because they're not sure if it's truthful or if it's meaningful or if it's just pure sarcasm. When words are spoken, there is a mistrust often on the receiver. Like, are you actually going to do this? Do you mean what you say? And it brings about in the one who's saying it a, a response that says, no, 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 like, like I, I'm speaking truthful. Like, I swear on my mother's life. Like, we have to resort to extravagant phrases to get the listener to believe what it is that we're trying to say. When we speak of another person, there's often kind of little honor or little value connected to that person, particularly if that person holds a different viewpoint than you. We see this in our political system on display every day. Again, when we visit our social media platform, even simple like online conversation. It's often yelling, you know that, because it's all caps with 15 exclamation points. I would like, I'd like to watch that conversation in the lobby of a church, like all caps, 15 exclamation points all the time. There's no kind of discourse of dialogue or idea. It's often sarcasm and yelling and cutting others down. The great irony in our culture right now is that given the fact that it's a free country and that we do have freedom of speech, it runs directly into the fates of a cancel culture phenomena. The words police people. That if you say anything that is all divisive or offensive, that is against something, well, the self-declared we are right collective mob will not rest until everything that you have ever said or done in your life is penalized in a public fashion. There's no grace, there's no space for mistakes at all. And weirdly, in this particular dynamic, there is this misplaced sense of pride, a misplaced sense of righteousness or justice, that when we, in fact, do cancel someone, that somehow we've done the world a service for this. 
The tension of our language really is all over the place. During this particular pandemic, COVID-19, I suspect it was highlighted at unprecedented levels. And many Christ followers kind of found themselves caught in the middle of this giant dialogue, not just with the pandemic, but with a host of things in our world and culture. Caught and drawn into this conversation of, oh, I am free and I can say what I want. This is the country that I live in. And often we get sucked into conversations that can be and often are very harmful. Other Christians are caught and scared. Well, if we say anything at all about anything to do with what it is to be a Christ follower in the kingdom of heaven and those values and ethics, that somehow we might be canceled. I know that over the course of the summer and through the last year, some of you with much care and concern for us, you know, there's been things that we've touched on on a Sunday morning where the, the question of, like, aren't you nervous that, that someone might hear that and kind of come after you slash us? My suspicion is that for many Christ followers, as it relates to our language and to our tongue and the things that we would say, that we might not even know what Jesus says about these matters. And you need to understand before we go any further that, that number one, as a, as a follower of Christ, I am not free to say whatever it is I want to say. I'm not free. Yes, I live in this beautiful country. Yes, I love where I live. But the king in whom I really serve says over my life that despite what of freedoms I have here, I am not free to just use my mouth any way that I want. I surrender, I submit my language to Christ himself. For other Christ followers, we may have completely forgotten what Jesus has said on these matters. When for others, maybe we've just purposefully ignored all of Jesus' instruction and in doing so welcomed a lot of pain or struggle into our lives that we didn't necessarily need and want to go through. So this morning, I want to go back and highlight a, a series of passages, kind of in a, in a good old-fashioned kind of Bible study, deep dive, so to speak, around the conversation of our mouth and what we say. I want to begin with the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is loaded with passages that speak about our tongues. And these are, these are kind of words of wisdom, whether you are a Christ follower or not. Like you could take Proverbs and just lay it over a culture, lay it over a people, and this is all just good wisdom to live by, whether you know Christ or not. So here's the first one from Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And we'll just pause here for a minute. I love this phrase. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And, and you will eat the fruit of the things that you say. And it will either bring life, whether you are a Christ follower or not, or it will bring you death, whether you are a Christ follower or not. Proverbs is just this giant book of general things that are true to live by. If we were a people that go around and just kind of running off at the mouth, this would fall into the category of bringing death. And you will eat its fruit all the days of your life, starting with your kids, your spouse, your friends, your close family, your bosses, your employees. And you'll eat its fruit wherever you go. 
If you go around speaking things that are filled with life, well, you will eat that fruit as well. Proverbs is loaded with passages that speak to this very clear dynamic of life and death through, our, through the things that we say. If we move into the New Testament, we find very clear instructive words for the men and women who have made decisions of faith to follow Christ. And we find them in the letters that Paul and other writers have written. The first one is in 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17. It says this, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. It's curious, when you follow that analogy all the way through, gangrene, when it sets in, there is but one course of surgery. You, you have to cut it off or cut it out. And same in church life, in God's people. Through the course of my life as a pastor, as a person who's grown up in church, I've actually had the unfortunate opportunity to watch gangrene set in to church life. And I've had the unfortunate opportunity and the unfortunate witness of watching a church deal with such a person that all they're doing is involving themselves in godless chatter. And it's just this dark dive into this abyss of death upon death upon death. We go to Colossians 3.18, another great passage that Paul writes. But now, this is on the heels of, if you are a follower of Christ, Colossians 3. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And he goes on to list a few other things. Colossians 3.17, another passage. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, so often we just kind of like skip over the word part and just go to deed. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And listen, just so you're aware, um, you know, you can't tell someone off in the name of the Lord. Like, that doesn't fit, right? Like, you need to know that. Like, well, I'm doing the love of the Lord. Well, mm, that's not exactly what Paul has in mind here. Ephesians 4.29. This is my mother, so as I read this passage, I have to, like, deal with kind of the memory of the voice, but the voice is not wrong. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, another one. But among you, there must not even be a hint. And then it goes on to list a few things, and I just couldn't put it all in one text. It says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then he kind of continues on. James 3, 9 and 10, this is the last one for now. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. So this is what this is saying. We've just come through an incredible set of songs that talk about speaking the name of Christ, the only name that can heal, the only name who can restore. And pending what you're doing for lunch, you might find yourself cursing human beings. And within a matter of hours, we're doing both of these things on the same day. And as we curse out the human being, we have to remember they have been, if we keep reading in James 3, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. 
These are but a few of the passages of Scripture in the Scriptures that deal with the way we handle, the way that we use our mouth and the words that we say and the things that we communicate to others in our lives. The psalmist has this incredible prayer that ought to be at the very center of our minds when it comes to the words that we speak. This is in Psalm 19.14. And this is one that you should write down. This is one that you should snap. This is one that you should tweet about. Psalm 19.14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. As we go about our daily life, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart, the things I dwell on, be pleasing in your sight. If you go back several weeks ago on the mental health morning, the things that I think about are going to be the things that I will say. I hope this is a prayer that you will just kind of purposely build into your daily life. That the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. If one were to take the time, and it would take a lot of time, to go through the whole of the Bible and to do a study on all the things that God would say to His world, particularly the men and women who have made decisions of faith to follow Him, if we're to go do a study of it all, and kind of categorize kind of the, the main points that God would communicate to you and I, there are four things that I think that we can find in the Scriptures as God would say to His sons and daughters. And everyone else can listen, and you will benefit from it greatly, but particularly targeted at the men and women who have made decisions of faith to follow Jesus. Number one, if we are a follower of Jesus, first up, be sure that we are slow to speak. We're slow to speak. This is taken right out of the book of James. In James 1.19, it reads, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Growing up in my church um, in Ormato, my Sunday school teacher was a gentleman by the name of Philip Clark. Philip and Cheryl, fantastic couple. Um, he, he just, he was kind of an odd guy, like an odd guy. And, and to look at he and I, even though we share the same name, there was very little that would kind of bring us together other than our love of the Lord. Like he, um, just an odd guy. Like I've never seen a 44-year-old wear Velcro sneakers before. Just an odd guy. What I loved about him, and if you're 44 wearing Velcro, my bad, sorry. Every time Philip would speak, there was this like, pause every single time. And it was, a, it, was an, it was such an awkward pause that it was just noticeable. So after I got to know him and Cheryl long enough, there's this moment where they're at our house and I kind of build up the courage to ask him, like, what's the deal? Like, why, why do you wait for, for you to answer, like, a simple question? And this is like the 16-year-old kid who just talks all the time to a 44-year-old guy who just really loves the Lord. And he says, well, that's an, actually a fantastic question. And he goes, before I talk, I've developed the discipline of just stopping for a second and asking God to kind of like shape what I'm, is that I'm about to say. And I'm like, oh. So I was like, you're weird. And then I'm like, oh, that's really good. 
that's really good. And I've never, ever, ever forgotten that moment with him. And it makes sense of all my interaction with him before. It makes sense watching him interact with people ever since that moment. And it's this wonderful discipline of being slow to speak. Whenever I'm in a meeting, I often pay no attention to the one who speaks first. I often pay no attention to the one who's clamoring to get their ideas out on the floor. But I, but I take a lot of time and listen to the one who's spoken last. Because often that is the one who has taken time to formulate, to pray through, and to process what it is that they're about to say. As a follower of Jesus, we are to be slow to speak as we deal with our mouth. Number two, when, it is, when, it is, when we do speak, we want to make sure that our words are seasoned with salt. Again, this is taken right out of the Scriptures in Colossians 4.6. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As you are formulating the words that you're going to say, some of us, and I can be in this category as quick as anyone, we don't put any time into the delivery of what it is I'm going to say. Sometimes that can be great news, and I just even say great things wrong sometimes. But particularly if it's a challenging word, if it's a rebuking word, if it's a correcting word, how do I say this? And it's seasoned with salt so that the listener, the receiver, knows that they are still valued, that we still care for them deeply, that they have something to offer that it's not kind of like destroying the soul of the one that I'm speaking to. As a dad, as a mom, as a business person, as a coach, we have to grow in our discipline of seasoning our words in such a way that the one who is on the receiving end of it, A, actually hears what it is that we're saying, and that we would reflect the goodness and heart of God in our life as we speak these words over people's lives. Number three, again, if you were to do a deep dive into the Scriptures to discover all that God says on this matter, we would see, as we've already highlighted, that we are to be slow to speak, seasoned with salt. And number three, be sure that it's true. Be sure that it's true, that what you're going to say is true. This is, again, reflected in passages, and there's a couple of Matthew 5. All you need to say is simply yes or no. And anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Like yes or no. Not, <laughs> I heard this story, I don't know if it's true or not. You should stop right there. Because that moment's called gossip. And there's a whole other sermon you could do in this one. Just yes or no. Another passage is in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I know it says think on these things, but you could also take that word out and say you could say, say these things, whatever is true, whatever is right. If there is a phrase that Christ followers need to grow and develop in, we are called by Christ himself to be truth tellers. To be truth tellers. That the words that are coming out of our mouths, it is true. It doesn't lead people on wondering, like, what do they mean by that? 
we, we tell the truth even if that means that we are inviting some kind of harm into our life. We want to be a people who tell the truth wherever we go. Children will often stop believing their parents if all they hear from their mom or dad is, just give me five minutes. And it's 17 years later and they're still waiting for five minutes. Spouses stop hearing one another if there isn't a truthfulness to the language that we are saying. Our ability to influence people in our lives will diminish and dry up. Our witness to a lost and broken world will be whittled away to virtually nothing, all because of our lack of ability to speak the truth. And this is the last one, and this is my favorite one. Be sure that the words that we say builds up and or corrects someone. Slow to speak, seasoned with salt, be truthful, and it builds someone up, and that building can also be in the form of correcting. Paul, to the church in Ephesus, he writes this in Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. We read this one earlier, but I'm changing where we're focusing our eyes. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And I want to unpack this one for a few moments this morning. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only language and words and phrases and conversations that build others up according to what? To their needs. And if someone's eavesdropping into that conversation, that the one who is listening is benefiting from what they're hearing. Example of this, several, well, I guess months ago now, we were away with our girls' team over in Halifax playing in a volleyball tournament. And I, I, I'm a competitive person, like, and some of you are like, obvious. Um, but more than being competitive, I understand that I'm a follower of Christ. And how I conduct myself on the sideline matters. It's a big deal to me. I don't want to argue with refs. I don't want to argue with other coaches. I, I'm very conscious of the fact that this is on full-on display for a whole lot of people to watch and witness not the coach, the pastor who coaches. Like, there's a, there's a double thing here. And I'm very aware of this moment in my life. And it's curious that I'm, I was unaware until putting this together that I constantly try to praise the girls that I coach. Constantly trying to praise and build them up. Praise and build them up. Gently, if I have to correct. Gently speaking into their habit that I'm trying to correct. I am building them up according to their needs in this moment. While away at this particular tournament, there was parent after parent after parent and coach after coach after coach that throughout the day would purposely pull me aside and say how much they enjoyed watching, and I love the phrase, watching a giant man speak gently to little tiny female athletes. And it was curious. It, it hearkened me back to one of the earlier conversations that Amy ever has with me when we're dating. And she's like, you need to be aware that you're six foot two 
And at that time, I weighed a lot more than I do now. You're six foot two. And I'm five foot two. Your words just like put these things together. How you, how you move and how you speak, given your size and frame, can do an awful lot for the person who's on the receiving end of that. It was curious that they took the time to come alongside me to say, I love listening to you speak to your kids. I love how you pull them aside. I love how it's not done in front of others. I love how it's done more through a whisper, even in the form of a timeout. Like, and coaches only call timeouts when things are bad. Like, you don't call a timeout when things are rolling. You, time, you call it when things are falling apart on the floor. And that's often a space where coaches will get very, very frustrated. So I've developed a habit, and it's getting harder now as I get older, but I will actually like kneel down, and I am like at their knees, and they're looking down at me as I speak up into their life, trying to build others up in their place of need, and that someone who is listening, and what, that it would benefit them as well. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I both we are called to build others up according to their needs. So you have to know the other people well so that you might speak well into those moments of their life. And if someone happens to see or hear or just be an eavesdropper, that they would walk away with this sense of like, I was really good. I was really good. And when my moment comes, I'll remember this moment so that it benefits my life as well. I put these four things out here for you this morning um, because we see this in Christ himself. Like, if we don't link it to who Christ is, these just become like rules to live by. And I am deeply interested in being a follower of Christ. I am not interested at all in saying, here are four more things to be a good moral person. That's irrelevant. In Christ himself, we see someone who is slow to speak. We don't see him clamoring over people or situations to get his word in. We see someone who is very slow to speak often is just answering the questions that are brought to him. We see his language seasoned with salt. He takes the time to formulate his phrases on purpose. He says what needs to be said in a way that values the one who he's saying it to. Even people like the rich young ruler. He knows this is going to sting. He knows that money means a lot to the rich young ruler. He doesn't cast him aside. He doesn't speak down. He doesn't make fun of him because he doesn't know this. He simply, clearly, gently says, you've got to sell everything that you have. Then come follow me. We see Jesus' language being filled with truth. How many times in the Gospels do you see Jesus start his phrase with, I tell you the truth. I tell you, the, and then he goes on. Or you'll see a phrase of, you've heard it said. AKA, this is not entirely true. But I'm going to tell you what is true. And again, lastly, we see his language building others up. And that involves, yes, correcting that involves speaking firmly to, to redirect people's lives. And if we just are eavesdroppers in the Gospels of when Jesus is talking, we are like that person that 
he might not be directly speaking to, but we benefit from the dialogue that he has with Simon Peter, benefit from the dialogue that he has with the rich young ruler. It's directly to them, but someone who's eavesdropping in, it benefits my life as well as I go about my life because I remember these things that he said to someone else somewhere in history, but it still is true and right and benefits my life now as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Dana back. And in this whole space of because you say so, I will, I'm going to invite us this morning to end our service a little bit differently. I want you to take a good hard look at the words that you use. And we all have phrases. We all have words. We all have things, nuances connected to each and every, each and every one of us. When we were away in Bolivia several years ago, it was quite comical um, where I, I know that I have my own idiosyncrasies. I know that I talk with my hands. I know all kinds of things. And Yasha, uh, in her kind of theatrical person that she is, she begins to like mimic me. And I'm like, what? Like, and the phrases she was saying, the, the body language, like all of these things. And I, deeply humorous because she was pretty good at it. But we all have words and we all have phrases. And this morning, I want to ask you to really just wrestle through and evaluate the things that you say. The things that you would commonly say to your best friends or your spouse. The things that you would say to your children the things that you would say about political leaders, the things that you would say to a host of people in your life, that if Christ is right there beside you, you might find that uncomfortable. Or worse, you wouldn't care if Christ was right beside you. You just say it anyway, because that's who you are. And we say that as if that's somehow noble. Like, when someone says, well, this is who I am, I know, and Christ has come to save that version of you. That's not a noble. You, you don't get a medal for that. That's the problem. This is who you are. And Christ has come out of love and grace and compassion for you and me. And by the Spirit's help, this is the, this is the request. That as it relates to our phrases, our words, that we would put to death any wicked way in us. And that we would put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of our Creator. There's two prayers that I want to leave you with this morning. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness breaks the spirit. And then Psalm 141. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So how do you talk about your political leaders? How do you talk about your spouse? How do you talk about your kids? your boss, your employees? How do you talk about things in life? If by the grace of God you recognize that maybe just maybe there are phrases and words and ideas that I speak 
that are outside of what God would ask me to do, I would invite you to stand. We want to pray for you, for me this morning in this space, that our language, that our words would reflect the goodness of the one in whom we worship and serve. Our gracious and heavenly Father, you tell us from the heart we speak. which at times can be deeply concerning. That harsh word, that phrase that we have been saying since we've been 10, that at times just flat out bitterness and hatred towards people that you have made, we are at times completely unaware of how those words break the spirit of the listener, break the spirit of our own lives. May we take a hard look at how we talk about our political leaders, even if we don't like them, even if we think that they are making catastrophic mistakes. May we still speak of them in a way that's honorable, May we still view them as people that you love and that you value and that you cherish. May we take a hard look at the phrases and words we use as we talk with our spouse. I understand that in the heat of the moment, man, we are capable of words that break the spirit. May we take a hard look at the things we say to our children. That there's not a recurring phrase that we would say to our kids. That they're going to have to work through that when they're 20, 25, 30. Because it was 15, 18 years of this constant reminder of their failure, of their mistakes, of their personality flaw. In the words of the psalmist, set a guard over our mouths, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, we want to talk about these things. That we would be a people who are slow to speak. That we take the time to season our words with salt. that what we say is true and it's right. We reveal so much of who we are by the words that we say. And it's my hope and prayer that as we long to worship and follow you, that our words, phrases, the nuances are filled with grace and truth and love and mercy that it builds others up and that those who hear, those who are eavesdropping, they would benefit from our words as well. For your glory, for your honor, for our joy, we ask these things in your name. Amen.